Day 13. Lucky number 13. <sighs> I guess it must be my lucky day because I found a crate of sardines and some imitation caviar in an upstairs bedroom this morning. <laughs> no starving for me. Too bad I hate seafood. I guess this is the kind of seafood diet that I actually do have to try, but uh, I guess there's worse things going on. I mean, the, the water still works, so I have that going for me. What I don't have going for me is the idea that things are just moving around in the house here. And I see these creepy-looking, well, dolls. Yeah, dolls, right? And these dolls just show up in one room and then come into the other and I, I don't see them move and then I turn around and then they've moved and like some of them have like weird things. One of them had a spoon. Just a spoon. And then this other one I saw had like a fork and the fork was stuck in its hand and it said something about like third time this week on a note that was next to it. I don't understand what that means. Are the dolls hungry? Oh no, are, are they getting ready to eat me? I hope not. Maybe they can have some of this gross seafood. But anyway, um, with all that in mind, what I want to do is think about some of these famous dolls that I've been researching here since I've seen some of these low-rent ones. I'm talking about you, Clyde. That's the one that keeps looking at me through the corner there. Anyway, so I want to talk about some of the most famous dolls that I've been doing research on in this haunted history here. I've been looking at a couple of books here, but we have three in particular that seem like they have garnered the most interest, both book-wise and online on those few weird websites I can actually get access to. Um, let's see. Ah, uh, Yes. The three that we are going to be talking about today, one goes by the name of Annabelle. Yeah, that Annabelle, like Conjuring Annabelle and, well, Annabelle Annabelle. So we're going to be looking at that one. Also, there's a doll named Robert the Doll. And if you go to Florida, tell him I say hi, because if you don't, you might die. And then you may cry. I'm, I'm sorry. These rhymes are... It's getting late. Ugh. And then there's the Janesville Baby, which is such a creepy name for a doll. And this story has a couple of different turns that I think you might be interested in. So buckle up, Buttercup. Let's check out some of these dolls here as we join up with our haunted history. So as we get crack-a-lack in here, I was able to find some research on a website called Channel 24. I believe it is a New Zealand website that was talking a little bit about movies, and I came across this thing that says some terrifying facts about the real Annabelle. Which makes me say, well, isn't Annabelle Annabelle? And you might be surprised to realize that the real Annabelle doesn't have nearly as much in common with her silver screen counterpart. And actually, the real story might be even creepier. Now you see, in 1970, a woman purchased a Raggedy Ann doll for her daughter. And before we even get any further than that, let's break that down real quick. Raggedy Ann. 
Not this porcelain, scary scream queen that we saw from the movie, but a Raggedy Ann doll. If you don't know what Raggedy Ann is, Raggedy Ann dolls have been around for, well, pretty much ever. And they are known for having this curly red hair, and they have freckles and dimples and this nice little upturned smile, and they wear, well, raggedy clothes. Usually a kind of an apron deal, maybe a little bit of a dress, kind of blue or red with some uh, polka dots and things like that on it. And they are raggedy. They're meant to be, you know, soft and pliable, easy to take around with you. Not this super creepy porcelain doll with the evil face and the gross hair and everything that the movie told us, but a cute doll. And that's what the real Annabelle is. Now, maybe because they couldn't get the licensing to use the real Raggedy Ann doll for Annabelle is why they created the new one, or they just wanted a doll that looked super creepy on her face. I'm not sure. But I know that the real Annabelle and the Annabelle from the movie doesn't look really anything alike here. But I digress. So in 1970, a woman purchased a Raggedy Ann doll at this used goods store as a Christmas present for her daughter. Her daughter's name was Donna, and she was a nursing student in Hartford, Connecticut. Now, Donna thought this doll was really sweet and thought that she really enjoyed this gesture from her mother as a Christmas gift. And so, of course, Donna, even though she was, well, a nursing student and living outside the house, decided that she would put the doll on her bed every morning just to kind of keep it company and everything like that. Plus, it looked really cute. So everything seemed innocent until Donna brought Annabelle to breakfast one morning and the doll allegedly, which means we're not sure if it happened, people say it did, but come on, she allegedly straightened out her arms and put them on the kitchen table. That's impossible, at least in theory. However, people say, at least Donna and her roommates say this truly happened. Now from there, things became weirder, if you can believe it. Soon, Donna and her roommate, Angie, would come home to find Annabelle on the couch or any other part of the room, which was really weird because Annabelle had originally been locked in Donna's room. So there was no sign that anybody else had been in the apartment. So how did Annabelle get out of her room and into the living room? That was weird. So after a couple of months of Annabelle's eerie antics, Donna decided to contact a medium um, who is, you know, someone who can communicate with spirits. Now, this psychic told Donna and Angie that a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgins had been tragically killed on the apartment property here. And the child's spirit had now taken refuge, decided to stay and live inside Donna's Raggedy Ann doll. So Annabelle appeared to feel at peace with Donna and Angie, which might explain why she wanted to move away from the bedroom and be in those more public places for when Donna and Angie came home. Now, these two girls that the doll was living with, of course, were nurses, and nurses are known to be compassionate. So they decided that there really wasn't any harm in this ghost doll living in their house and kind of welcoming them home. So the doll got to stay. However, this would have horrifying repercussions. After allowing Annabelle's existence to linger in the apartment, Donna began to find mysterious letters, as in like actual handwritten letters, scrawled in this crude, childlike handwriting with creepy phrases just saying simple things like, 
Save Us or Save Lou. Now, Lou is a name you haven't heard yet, but Lou was Donna's friend. Some people say that they dated. Some people said that they were more than friends, maybe special friends. But Donna's friend Lou was this male who doubted that her stories about Annabelle were actually true. And he would often visit the apartment and ridicule the doll. He would make fun of her. But soon after that mysterious Save Lou note appeared, Lou was staying over and received a personalized visit from Annabelle herself. So one night, while Lou was spending the night at Donna and Angie's place, Lou was deep asleep when he started to be startled, and he awoke at the feeling of something touching his leg. So Lou awoke, but he was unable to move. He was paralyzed. Maybe it was sleep paralysis. Maybe it was something else. So he looked around the room. He was able to move his head a little bit, I guess, but he saw nothing. And then the terror began. He was able to move his head up and glance down to his legs, and he saw Annabelle at the foot of the bed by his feet. The doll slowly began gliding up his leg and moved closer and closer until she was sitting on his chest and stopped right there. The little doll's hands, they were around his neck in seconds. And according to this distressed man, she was strangling him. Now imagine that, a grown man being strangled by a doll. You would think that that, that well, that, that couldn't happen. But he insisted that he was still paralyzed. So this doll, with, well, really soft features, was able to strangle a grown man. Lou then said he blacked out and awoke the next morning, and he was unsure whether or not this was just a dream or if this actually happened. He got his answer the next day. When Lou was waking up and trying to leave the apartment, he was attacked by this unseen force that left seven distinct claw marks across his chest. As you could probably guess, there was something out to get him. So after this attack on Lou... Donna began to ask a priest for help. The priest recommended this couple that he knew, a husband and wife demonology team. That means people who hunt the demons and paranormal investigation, uh, investigations who were known for investigating these types of creepy occurrences throughout their neighborhood. This is where we meet Ed and Lorraine Warren. See, the Warrens soon became an instrumental part, let's say, to the whole Annabelle lore here. So the Warrens came to visit the apartment and came to a disturbing conclusion. Donna's doll was not possessed by the ghost of a young girl, but actually a demon that had its sights set on possessing Donna's soul. So the Warrens called in another priest to perform an exorcism on Annabelle. Afterwards, Donna asked the Warrens to take the doll with them. Now, this wasn't the first time the Warrens had felt and experienced the paranormal here. So, anticipating unholy activity, the Warrens avoided the interstate and took the back roads home. Because if Annabelle was going to act up and the car was going to go flying off the road, they definitely didn't want to be going 70 miles an hour while that was happening. So, after repeated trouble with the engine of the car... The brakes stopped working, the steering stopped, and the car became just dangerous to be in. 
So Ed stopped the car. He opened the trunk and doused Annabelle with holy water. Interestingly enough, after Annabelle's impromptu bath, Annabelle began to behave herself. At least for a little while. When Ed Warren recounted Annabelle's story to a priest, the latter reportedly dismissed Annabelle with, <laughs> You're just a ragdoll, Annabelle. You can't hurt anything. Now Lorraine sensed that the priest would get himself in trouble and warned him to drive home carefully because Lorraine had this sixth sense that Annabelle would prove her power. When the priest got home, he later called to tell Lorraine that he had been in a near-fatal car wreck on the way home when his brakes failed too. Apparently, Annabelle is really good at cutting car brakes without actually doing anything, and that's terrifying. Once the doll was given to the Warrens and the Warrens locked her away, there was a visitor that would visit the Warrens' house, which was turned into an occult museum. So a museum of all the creepy things that the Warrens had found. And one visitor to the occult museum broke the rules by going to the box that Annabelle had been sealed in and touching the, the doll right there, right there, which is not a great idea. And apparently challenging her to do her worst. Now, as you've seen, Annabelle is pretty good at doing the worst, right? So later that day, this man allegedly died in a motorcycle accident. His girlfriend survived, but spent almost a year in the hospital recovering from her injuries. So it looks like Annabelle and cars, any kind of motorized transportation just don't mix. So despite achieving this iconic status, the original Annabelle still resides in this little humble protective box in the Lorraine Warren's Occult Museum in Modus, Connecticut. But her sedentary lifestyle really hasn't diminished her power. And according to Lorraine, Annabelle sometimes moves around and growls at unsuspecting visitors who dare come near her case. So, if you're not me and trapped in a mansion, you could actually go visit the real Annabelle right now. Just make sure you don't get too close, because Annabelle's spirit may be hitching a ride home with you, and you know what she does to your brakes. So just be careful. Geez, that Annabelle sure was creepy, right? There certainly can't be any, any, you know, other dolls as creepy. But what if I told you there was? And it is a boy doll, and his name is Robert. Robert the doll. He's not very cleverly named, but he's still creepy. Now, according to a website called the Creepypasta Wiki, which I love mainly because it's one of the few creepy websites I can actually get onto in this creepy mansion here, the legend of Robert the Doll starts in the late 1800s. In the late 1800s, a man by the name of Thomas Otto sent he and his family to a mansion to live in Key West, Florida that was built specifically for their needs. Now, the Ottos were super wealthy and well-to-do and respected in the community, but not so much with their servants. They would actually go so far as to mistreat and abuse them. And it was the mistreatment of one Haitian servant in particular that provided the birth of the legend of Robert the Doll. See, this servant was hired to take care of the Otto's son, 
And, easily enough, his name too is Robert. So one day, Mrs. Otto is hanging out, and she witnesses the Haitian servant here practicing what appeared to be voodoo or black magic in the backyard of the mansion. And Mrs. Otto just flips, and she's not about that life. And so she fires her directly on the spot. But before this uh, servant could leave, the woman gives Robert a lifelike doll, which stood to be about three feet tall, and it had buttons for eyes, human hair on its head, which was actually believed to be Robert, which is even creepier, and it was filled with straw. Now you can imagine that a doll like this has probably got to take some time to build. So maybe this doll was originally meant to be a gift for Robert for nice things, but didn't actually turn out that way. So dolls resembling children were not weird at the time, but this one proved to be, well, different, you know. Robert named the doll after himself and often dressed it in his own clothes that he wore when he was younger. So soon Robert the doll and Robert the human became best friends. The boy took the doll with him on shopping trips into town, and the doll even had a seat at the dinner table, and Robert would sneak the doll bites of food when his parents weren't looking. Although, would that food just kind of end up either back on the table or on the floor or something like that? Robert didn't have a mouth that opened and ate, right? Because that would be weird. So, Robert would even be tucked into bed with the doll at night. Soon, though, this innocent relationship took on a nightmarish nature. The first sign of strangeness was when Robert the Human announced to his mother that he wanted to be referred to by his middle name, which was Jean. He told her that Robert was the doll's name, not his. So from here on out, we're going to be calling Robert the Cumin, Gene. So Gene was often heard in his toy room having conversations with Robert the doll. Gene would say something in his little childish voice, but the responses to his questions and comments would be heard in a much deeper, more masculine tone. Kind of like this? Question mark? So sometimes Jean will become very agitated, very scared, worrying the servants and his mother. So his mother, on occasion, would burst into the room and find her son just cowering in a corner while Robert sat perched on a chair or on the bed just glaring at him. Which is odd because Robert usually had a smile on his face and I don't think the doll was built to have changes in, you know, temperature or facial features, or anything like that. And this was only the beginning. Household objects would be found thrown across the room, and Gene's toys turned up mutilated, and when his parents would go looking to see what happened, giggling could be heard coming from different parts of the house. So whenever these unusual acts took place, Gene would always say the standard kid line when a creepy doll is involved, I didn't do it, Robert did it. But the boy took the punishment, but even though he took the punishment that was designed to go to the culprit, he always insisted that the blame was not actually his, but on his doll, Robert. As the mischief grew, 
more and more servants took their leave and new ones were hired. So the legend continued to spread all throughout the area. Soon the Otto's relatives felt it was time to do something. So the recommendation of a great aunt, Jean's parents moved Robert from his care and placed him in a box in the attic. And that's where he stayed for a while. But after the death of his father, Gene was given through his will his boyhood home. So Gene was able to inherit the home he grew up in. So he decided, hey, this is a pretty nice place. Funny how mansions can just be given to people and weird stuff happens in them. Just saying. Thanks a lot, Capone. So once Gene was given his boyhood home and his will, he decided to live in this Victorian mansion with his new wife. At this time, Gene had embraced the artistic side and was an actual well-respected artist and felt that the house was spacious and would provide him a place for him to paint. He went to the attic and was checking things out and found his old childhood toy, Robert. He became attached to the doll despite his wife's vocal displeasure. And just like when he was a boy, Gene instantly became reattached to the doll and would take him everywhere he went. He even sat in his favorite little chair while Gene and his wife slept nearby, which was really weird because the doll watched them sleep. Odd, right? So Mrs. Otto, as in the new Mrs. Otto, not Gene's mom, but his wife, was unsettled by her husband's attachment to this childhood plaything. So Mrs. Otto demanded that Robert the doll be moved back to the attic. Gene begrudgingly obliged, but soon after, the couple's marriage began to sour until Mrs. Otto apparently went crazy and died of quote-unquote unknown causes. Gene, racked with grief or guilt or maybe a little bit of the insanity himself, soon followed behind his wife. Now, Robert supposedly began attacking people that would come and visit the house, trying to clean things up and check things out, sometimes locking them in the attic. People who passed by claimed to hear evil laughter coming from the room that Robert had been left in upon the death of Jean. For some time, Robert remained in the empty house by himself until a new family purchased the mansion and restored it. The doll was often found in various rooms throughout the house, but never in the same room twice. On one certain night, Robert was found at the foot of the owner's bed, giggling with a kitchen knife by his side. As you can imagine, that was enough to send them fleeing from the home, and maybe that's where Annabelle got her idea from. All I know is that if I woke up next to a doll with a knife in his or her hand, your boy is out. I'm done. Can't do it. So, just like the family that was living in the house, I would be fleeing too. So... Robert was later moved to the East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida, where he sits perched in a glass box, just like his girlfriend Annabelle today. Oh, they're a match made in creepy haunted doll heaven. And despite his new living quarters, the doll is believed to not have given up his menacing ways. Visitors and employees in the museum claim to have seen the doll move, and his smile, which is on his face just about all the time, can almost imperceptibly be turned to a scowl. 
One night, an employee cleaned up Robert the doll, turned off all the lights, and left for the night. The next day, he returned to find the lights turned on and Robert sitting in a different position than the night before, with a fresh layer of dust that must have happened from climbing up some other thing on his shoes. That's insane. Now, just like with Annabelle, you can go and visit Robert the doll today. But some say that if you do, he'll curse you. If you want to take a picture of him, you can, but you must ask politely. He'll tilt his head in permission. However, if he doesn't and you take the picture anyway, a curse will befall you and anyone who accompanied you to the museum. The same thing would happen if you make fun of him. But who makes fun of a doll? I understand like you don't want to give him the credit for whatever he says he did or what people think he did, but if you make fun of a doll, I don't know if I feel worse for you or the doll, honestly. So to this day, Robert remains in the East Martello Museum, and he wears a cute sailor suit, and he too has his own stuffed animal, a stuffed lion. And if you believe the reports, he's continuing his menacing ways. So after you go up northeast and visit Annabelle, why not make a trip down south to Key West and pay Robert a visit? I'm sure he'd love to see you, as long as you ask nicely. Now before I even got into this mansion owned by my great-great-great-great-grandpappy Capone, I already knew about Annabelle and even a little bit about Robert the Doll, so I thought I had had all my bases covered on all the famous dolls all throughout history. But it turns out I was wrong. There's another doll, sometimes referred to as the Janesville Baby, that lives in Minnesota. And being a lifelong Minnesota Vikings fan, your boy had to go and research this. So using some of the books I found in this gazillion book library, and actually getting onto one or two unblocked, if you will, websites like Blumhouse.com, I was able to find some information on the story behind this creepy Janesville doll. Since 1976, there's been a mysterious doll that's been sitting in the attic of this nondescript home in Janesville, Minnesota. Go Vikings, woo! This doll has a blank stare, and it has this porcelain face that overlooks the street below. His presence is felt by all who walk by, and anybody who walks by this house that sees the doll says that there's this uneasiness that accompanies it, and there's also this feeling like a heavy fog is just perpetually there. And it makes the people who walk by have a couple of questions. Like, why is the doll there? And what does he want? The Janesville doll, sometimes known as the Janesville baby, which I think is way creepier, has become a legend in this rural Minnesota town. His existence is unknown, so because of that, Imaginations run wild all throughout the community here and the legend continues to grow and grow because you know how much these small communities love their urban and homespun legends. And it's almost like a giant game of telephone is taking place and no one or two people have the same story as someone else. Every story about the origin of the Janesville doll is based on rumor and conjecture and speculation and it grows more and more every day. 
One rumor involves that the doll was involved in a horrible tragedy that took the life of a little girl. And the doll was buried with this little girl. And maybe the girl's soul is resting within the doll. Which, of course, Annabelle did it first. Come on now. Another rumor surrounds a single mother and a young child in a fight against evil. Reportedly, this woman's daughter had become possessed by a demon and she lost her life during an exorcism, which is a gnarly way to die, I am sure. So the mother placed the doll in the window to remember her daughter and her daughter's soul stayed with it, haunting the home. Maybe it provided some nice things by being there, but if you die during an exorcism, chances are you're not going to be the happiest spirit, right? There's an even more sinister story than this exorcism gone wrong, and it's the theory that the doll is actually not a doll at all. It's a demon in disguise. This demon resides and lives in the doll, and it watches you as you walk by, because it's deciding whether or not it wants to leave the doll and possess you. Nope. Not. No. Just no. And along with this demon story, there's a lot of individuals that claim to have seen the doll walking around in the attic. And there's certain times of the day that he comes to life and runs back and forth, kicking up dust that you can see kind of passing through the window and giggling like a small, gleeful child. That is one creepy demon. People also see the doll staring at them and glaring. And some people even state that he's come down from his area and chased people down the street. And others insist that the doll moves around in the window as if it's trying to follow them and see where they're walking to and potentially wanting to follow them home. <laughs> Now, of course, these are all myths. These are all stories that are created by people who want to place an explanation on something they don't understand. I mean, why is a doll there? Why is the doll creepy? Why is there a creepy feeling around the house? We don't like the things we don't understand. We want to put something that explains things to us. And maybe coming up with a story like this makes you feel better. Maybe you feel less scared if you think that this doll represents a demon or a ghost or something. Maybe it would, you know, give you something to talk about. Also, people want to be a part of something big. So maybe instead, by making up this rumor, you get to make people care about Janesville, Minnesota when they wouldn't normally. And maybe it's just a toy doll that's been stuck in an attic that people haven't figured out how to get out yet. Well, in actuality... The doll belongs to a man named Ward Went. Went is a collector of antiques and collectibles, which, as you can imagine, would probably fill, his, uh, fill up his home. He was born in that house, and he lived there until the day he died, which was in 2012, and he died at the age of 84. Went had placed the doll in the window, but he never told anyone why. At least not in person. Went claimed that he wrote the answer to the doll's existence in a note, which was placed in, what else, a town time capsule. Unfortunately, the capsule's not going to be open until 2076, so we're going to have to go uh, a long time 
until the truth is finally revealed once the time capsule is dug up. And after Wendt's death, the doll was removed from his famous spot in town, which is sad. He has been relocated to the Janesville Public Library, and people arrive from, well, all over the country to get a glimpse of this mysterious creepy doll. So if you're going on vacation and you're doing a tour of the world's creepiest dolls, there's a chance you're going to end up in Janesville, Minnesota. And he may just be a regular doll who never comes to life at night. And he may have been sitting in an attic for no reason at all. But you know, it's still fun to imagine that the entire backstory can be used and terrifying people like trick-or-treaters for years to come. That maybe there is a demon that resides in Janesville, Minnesota. And maybe he's waiting for you to come see him too. I don't think I ever want to see another doll again. Like, none. I can't. Annabelle was intense, Robert was scary, and the Janesville baby was just... confusing. So I don't know, I think I can go doll-free for a little while here. I mean, I have this little, like, sports figure of Adrian Peterson that I still love, but that's not a doll, that's an action figure, so I'm not going to hear any guff about it. Plus, I left it back in my actual home, and it's not here. The only dolls here are the ones that creepily move around. I think... I hear them crawling in the walls, in the halls, in the bathroom, stalls. Gross. Anyway... That's going to do it for dolls, and that's going to do it for me. I got some more research coming up. There's plenty of other things I still need to talk about. Haunted prisons, bank robbers, conspiracy theories, flying spaghetti monsters, you know the drill. But anyway, you're going to have to wait a little while, and I'm going to have to see if I can find something else besides these stupid sardines to eat. Ooh, maybe I could eat one of those dolls. They probably taste better. I'm going to go take a bite out of one and report back to you later on. So, please, oh, please, oh, please, check back again in a couple of weeks as we explore everything that makes this our haunted history. <laughs> <laughs>